Hello and welcome to the Boss Podcast. I am Kirk Bailey, bringing you episode 75 of our weekly delve into the highlights of over 14 years of Boss Comps. This week, Sarah McVitie talks about harnessing data and culture to build value. The Business of Software Podcast, sharing sessions from our conferences and discussions with software people that will make you think. Find out more at businessofsoftware.org. 235 million items of clothing end up in landfill sites in the UK every year. Some estimates suggest that globally 40% of garments produced are never sold, of which 90% go to landfill. Sarah McVitie has launched a number of firsts across her career. Her company, Drisipi, built a business that offers shoppers access to their own digital stylist and which services over 20% of the UK women's wear market. Happy listening. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what we do at Dressipi, um, but more importantly, how we use data, why it's relevant, and some of the challenges uh, that we face. Uh, so we focus specifically on the fashion industry, uh, which is important because it's a 1.7 trillion dollar industry globally and it is the second least inefficient industry in the world so there are so many inefficiencies um, and the more we've got into the industry the more we've got into retail the more we realize that there's so much we can help with and there's so much that needs to change over the next kind of five to ten years so my background um, I met Mark when I was doing my first business here in Cambridge a service called Textbirds where you could text a question we text you back the answer and we sold that back in 2008 uh, very luckily, given the timing, the iPhone came out in 2007. We're like, hmm, okay. Anyway, we got acquired by the guys that own the 118 services. Uh, very lucky timing, because I think a year later it would have been worth nothing. But anyway, there we go. So that was that. Um, and then went out to work for the company uh, out in the US and then came back um, and then started this about six years ago. And um, so, so, so I, I started with an amazing lady called Donna Kelly, uh, Donna North, and she... Um, is exceptional on product. She's, got, she's an ex-athlete. She has this dedication and this focus and this vision, which is second to none. I'm just good at talking, but anyway, we're, we're a very good team, so it works very well. But initially, we set out to solve a problem. Every retailer was going online. Everyone was flogging product. No one really was serving the consumer. So there was no one trying to say, actually, based on who you are or what you look like or your budget, here's a really good edit for you. So it was just, it was just horrific. It was... It was, it, it was, it, it was there was no differentiation. It was a horrible experience. So we started out with this kind of B2C service where you could create a profile. We then give you an edit, and you then get a much better solution. And then we got approached by a couple of retailers about sort of five years ago, and we started, we, we started serving a B2B service. And we realized it was, firstly, much quicker to get to our end goal via the B2B route. Um, but uh, there was a much bigger problem to solve. So the consumer is one side, uh, but the inefficiency in the industry was huge. And then I'll go on to it a bit later on, but, but the, the, um, the sustainability issue is, is massive in fashion. So just a quick stat. So six out of all 10 items that are bought every year are um, end up in a landfill or just incinerated within a year of being purchased. So that's, that's half of a whole industry which is, which is inefficient. So understanding, I mean, I think in the 50s, I think women spent 12% of their disposable income on clothing. Today, or 2017 McKinsey report, I think 2 to 
of their disposable income, but guess what the volume increase has been since the 50s? Six-fold, okay? So six times number of clothes, uh, 2% versus 12%. So, so there's a huge issue to solve. Anyway, so that's, that's kind of where we started. So just, <coughs> now obviously, Debenhams, we've all read the headlines. Retail is going through a massive transformation. It's, it, you know, people aren't going to stop buying clothes, but the way that we interact with clothes is changing massively. So you know, the first big shift was, was a big shift online. That, that online growth is now slowing. Um, but there are new direct-to-consumer business models. There's new ways of shopping. There's new ways of doing things. And the whole industry, is, it's a, this, this next big wave that we see is what we call kind of this, this hyper-curation, hyper-personalization. And then the, the last wave that we think will be the kind of the, the, the last wave is around what we call pool retail, so a very demand-led, customer-led retail environment. So it's really about understanding the customer is no longer the king, they are the master. So really understanding how do you deliver that emotional context that's so important for the end user. So obviously other industries have been, very, have been much better at delivering personalization and really understanding that customers, when you understand your customer well, they're, they're more loyal, they spend more money, they do more with you. Um, and in fashion, it's, it's a bit different, and I'll go through this in a minute, but, but what it means, if, if, if you're a consumer and you're a woman, you're buying fashion, it's about understanding that you don't want to see. So currently, it's still extraordinary that I go to any website and my mum, me, my daughter, my granny, we all see the same dresses in the same order, <laughs> regardless of who we are. So that's, that's not acceptable anymore, and it shouldn't be the case anymore. So you should be able to see a genuinely curated, meaningful edit. So uh, then understanding that very few of us go and buy whole new wardrobes, very few of us go and buy whole outfits. Most of us uh, buy things to go with things we already own. And most of us are not confident. Most of us don't wake up in the morning thinking we look amazing. Most of us want a bit of advice. So that, but it's not advice from my mum, so I don't trust my mum's fashion advice. I want trusted advice from someone who's an expert. Um, and it, all of these factors mean that it's a far more complex problem to solve. <coughs> but if you can solve it, it's worth a lot of money. That's just the UK industry. That's the UK fashion industry. If you can put a genuinely personalised, more relevant approach, that's 10 billion quid. So in the business of software, that's, that's, that's what you should be able to deliver. And if you can reduce what they're actually producing, you have a double whammy, amazing impact. So... Uh, so this is, I mean, it's just, it is shocking that fashion is still completely undifferentiated. So every site looks the same, all the products look the same, all the stores look the same. It's, it, is, it is broken in many areas. So the fact that we, if you go to a website, we would all see those same dresses in the same order. The reason that their conversion rates online are 1% to 3% is because the probability of you seeing your products that you want to buy on the first page are between 1% and 3%. So it's, you know, there's so much more they need to do to understand what that relevancy looks like. And then the other big issue are garment return rates. So fashion return rates for garments can be, for on average, about 35%. But if you're a dress-focused retailer, that's... 40 to 50% of your revenue that comes back, right? So when you're looking at pricing to the point earlier, so you, if you price this software and you're, and you're measuring increasing sales, but you're also increasing returns, then you will have a negative impact on, on a fashion retailer's business. So it's really important to understand the business that we are serving to make sure that we can drive real value in that space. Um, <clears throat> so just some of the... Um, areas that make it so we started out and we had no idea how complex it was going to be and if we had known we probably wouldn't have started um but so understanding so we we, we, we kind of knew that fashion was really emotional we, we understood that it was a very different uh, industry and i suppose one way of explaining it so if you think about when you watch a 
book or, you know, watch a film or you read a book and you enjoy that book or that film, uh, you love it. It doesn't really matter whether you're 30, 50 or 90, it's still a great book or a great film and you'll always recommend it. Yeah, it, it's fairly static in your preferences, whereas fashion is completely different. So what you, know, what you buy and wear in the summer is different to what you buy and wear in the winter because the weather's very different. I've just had two kids, so what I feel comfortable wearing is completely different to what I felt comfortable wearing five years ago because my body's a complete different shape. So if I like to buy, if I, if I tend to buy into fashion, if I'm fashion forward, I might have said, I really hate velvet, never, never show me velvet. And then this season, if velvet is the key, season, the key trend, I won't just like it, I'm going to go and buy velvet, right? So understanding that the recency and the frequency of the data that you understand about a customer is, is, it needs to be treated very, very differently. So, and then understanding that, so when, you, when it's your books or your films, so most of the off-the-shelf algorithms that you, that you use around recommender systems have been built around Netflix and Amazon. And in those cases, you might purchase most of that sector from one or two providers. So they have a pretty good understanding of how you consume that area across the board. Whereas with fashion, so it doesn't really matter whether it's Topshop or John Lewis or whoever it is, 60 to 90% of their customers are only buying one or two items per retailer per year, but she's buying 30 to 50 across multiple retailers. So if you only have one or two, you've got less than 5% of any individual purchaser's behavior. It's really, really hard to make a prediction based on that 5%. And added to that, a lot of what we buy, and any woman here will, will, will agree with me, ends up in your wardrobe graveyard. So, so you probably only wear 20% of what you actually buy. So understanding what she wears is far more predictive than what she buys. It's really complex. And then um, and then understanding that you typically buy things to go with things you already own, so understanding what's in your wardrobe that you're actually going to wear and what, you're gonna, what, what it's going to go with and then giving the context behind that. Um, so it is, it's hugely complex. And so having to break down all of those issues and build up what is the data that's required, what are the models that are required, how do you build it from the ground, and then that's what we spent a lot of the last five years building. And, it, and, and we now have a really good product, but it's taken us a long time to get there. Um, but part of what makes it work is um, we have a fashion team and a technical team that work really closely together. So there is a complete diversity in terms of the way we think and the way that we work together. So when we started out and we said, right, got a stylist, so why is it you can dress me better than I can dress myself? What is it that you see or what is it about me that you see? And she would like to say, well, you know, physically you're like, you're like this and um, your body shape is this and your attitudes are like this and your lifestyle is like this. So this is what we ended up creating. We created this like profile or fashion fingerprint, we called it, which was an understanding of who you were from an individual level. And we said, right, great, so now you have a bunch of profiles. Here's a dress or here's a pair of shoes or a jacket or a top. What is it about that product that makes it relevant or not to that person with that profile? And they would say, well, you know, uh, for the, and I'm not a stylist, but for the, yeah, it's the neckline, the fit, the fabric, the details, the length, the, you know, all these different. So, so we now apply between 15 and 35 data points to every single product that we process. Initially, it was a completely manual process. So we had 50 junior stylists who were trained by senior stylists. Every single feature had to have three unanimous votes to be a live feature. Um, and every single product had to have unanimous features to be a live product. And then when we built up a couple of hundred thousand, we used that as our training data to build automation on top of that. So, and then the stylists say, well, right, so now I understand the products and I understand the garments. How do we then, how do those two data sets then coincide to deliver a, a recommendation or an edit that is better than random. Um, so there are some there are some rules um, uh, that are some of them are seasonal, some of them are set, 
Uh, and then there are things, so that then the AI and machine learning that the data teams build on top of that. So understanding that it has to evolve over time. So you can't take a snapshot of my behavior last year and apply it this year because it's irrelevant and it doesn't work. So fashion is too dynamic. So you, it has to evolve and you have to understand how that customer is shopping across the board. So, so we then, we, we started out working with four or five, we went for the bigger retailers, we, just, we landed four big retailers, and we said, right, let's just focus on delivering an amazing product for them. And then we got to a point where we were doing a very good job, both on the revenue and on the returns. And now we've just launched a thing called a universal network. So once you have created a profile with John Lewis, you can then use it and connect it on Topshop or any other of the, so, you can, so that is important because um, we, so because women buy across multiple retailers, so an example that I use is kind of winter coats, right? So we can see that your average, we've got about five million women now who have a profile, and so we can say that your average high street shopper will buy one winter coat a year because it's high ticket and, you know, it's expensive, um, but every retailer in November is trying to flog you a coat because it's high ticket and high margin, but if I bought my coat last week from John Lewis and I walk into Wallace today, I'm there to buy something, but it's probably not a coat, right? So don't try and sell me a coat. Sell me something to go with my coat or something that works with my coat, but not a coat. Anyway, so, so, so understanding what data you need to collect that genuinely helps you to deliver for the customer an amazing experience that makes them feel better, makes them look better, makes them feel like better human beings. And that, in turn, means they go back to the retailer. That in turn, so, so it's a very lovely uh, cycle. And then understanding how that data then needs to be built in different models for different types of customers, for different types of... So you'll find that the same customer across different retailers will behave very differently. So their return propensity will be different per brand. So understanding that different things impact that customer's behavior. So there's a kind of... We, we now create a single customer model and we'll create uh, retailer models as well. And then understanding that you know, our stylists and how they input into that system and how they work alongside our technical team. And there's some very good examples. So we were doing some work for one client and we could see that with all the profile data, we could see some very clear segments. And I got very excited. I said, let's look at like, like top 10 dresses or tops or jeans. Let's see what they're buying. And um, we looked at all the products and like, most of them were exactly the same. Like, how, how can this be? Anyway, so then the stylist looked at them. And like, they're all basics, obviously. So, so when you understand that you have basics and then you've got trend pieces and you've got highlight pieces, then you understand that you've got to tag the garments with those. And then when you take those away, uh, you get a very different picture. So, and, and you wouldn't, it, the, the big data approach, just take, it just takes too long. You don't, the sparsity of data is, is too significant on a per retailer basis that you never really get there otherwise. So uh, it's really important to build that in. And then you end up creating a far more uh, loyal customer who buys more, comes back more often, and returns a lot less. Um, <clears throat> so we we kind of we we now um, are pretty confident we've got one of the best products in the market, and it's because we go deep. So most people who are building recommend, recommender systems go out and they do cross industry and. Uh, we know that it's very hard to do a cross-industry recommender system on uh, well in fashion. So now we're kind of confident about that. And what it means is we've got an amazing, we're a completely 50-50 business. We've got across everything, both the style team and the technical team, and that we've got 14 different nationalities represented in our <laughs> 25 people uh, office. Um, but what's amazing about that is that that diversity of thought, the, 
the reason I think we are so small, so small and we've managed to outperform people who spent billions building similar software is because we understand how those nuances work and, and we can really take the time to leapfrog over and actually step change that piece. So that's the first bit. And then, so then I just started working with these retailers, like, this is insane, this is crazy, they're like a five percent margin business they should be if they sold so they're kind of k the kpi that they work with is called sell through rate so what percentage of their products they sell at full price and your average retailer's sell through rate is 60 percent okay so their margins are like five percent they probably should be more like 25 percent so um when you like break it down and you follow the money through and you say right how do, what's going on in this business you say right well uh, so how do you get them to sell more product or produce less product or you know, so if, if they could produce the right quantity of product or the right sorts of products at the right prices, then that would be a beautiful thing. Um, but also understanding that it's at the size level as well. So you might find that if you understand your customers well enough, you might have a pair of, I don't know, tapered leg trousers, rose print, pleats at the hip, I don't know, pockets, whatever, whatever the different features are of that product. And we can say, that's great. Go and get those products. But you want this many in a size 10, this many in a size 12, this many in a size 14, but none in a size 20, because no one's going to buy it at that size. So, so they might have a sell-through rate on a size level at 85%, 85%, and then it gets killed down to 40% over here. But we can help them understand what that size distribution looks like. So, so, so where we started out on the front end, our goal has always been to help. You can't just personalize the front end. You've got to be able to personalize the whole way down the stack. And you can't do the back, back end piece without the front end piece because of how dynamic. So you've got to have real-time data coming in to be able to affect correctly or in any way significantly improve the, the back end approach. So, so I'll go through some of the examples in a minute. But then, and then sustainability, again, it's just like, so I was, so, so each single pair of jeans, okay, this is, I find this amazing, 3,781 litres of fresh water is required to produce every single pair of jeans. That's from producing the cotton, lifting the cotton. So Levi's do an amazing sustainability report, and it's open source, and they're really trying to, they do an amazing job, but that, that, is, that is extraordinary, okay? And then 35% uh, of all ocean plastics are microfibers from synthetic fabrics, okay? So every time you wash something that is not a natural fiber, uh, tons and tons of microfibers end up in our ocean. So, uh, so, so there's lots of work to do around how do we buy better? How do we, how do we make better quality products that, we, that look good, that last longer, that, that we, and we understand the impact that we're making? So, so this is the kind of... So your step one was getting a product that was meaningful enough on the front end for the consumer so that we could really start to help and drive efficiency in the retail space. And that's kind of where we are now. <coughs> um, and so just, so just some examples of things that we're now starting to do. And we've only just started this, but, but so, this, uh, so, so this chart here shows that for a retailer, so how do you, so based on the size of the customer, so this is sizes 10 and 12, and they go up to size 30 and 32. What is their wardrobe? What's the wardrobe makeup for those customers? So they buy less dresses, they buy more tops, they buy the same number of bottoms. So, so we can really help them to understand how should they be producing ranges effectively on a per size level that genuinely is meaningful for their customer base. Um, and then when we go, cause, because we've labeled every product, so the top one is looking at tops, looking at necklines, we've got 35 different necklines. And you can see, in this case, I think that's looking at women who have a large bust versus having a normal or a less large bust. Um, and what you see consistently, regardless of age, is that if women have a large bust, they will return high necks. Okay, so, 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 so understanding 
the base of your customer and how they're made up and you know, so how do you produce products that, so what is the perfect dress for your customer? Is it a uh, shift dress with three quarter length sleeves with a v-neck? So, so they really understand how they're delivering for that, for that base. Um, and then work around returns. So there was a load of, uh, so people spend a lot of time focusing on sizing around returns for fashion, thinking that if we recommended the right size to you, then uh, you would return less stuff. Um, when you look at the data, it's just, it's, it, if 90% it, of your revenue is coming from 20% of your customer base, they know their size, right? So when you look at the data and you try to understand what is genuinely driving your returns and you break it down into, is it, is, it the, is it sizing or is it multiple options? So we look at customers who put the same product in multiple sizes across multiple orders and they buy and they return at least one. That is typically only about 8 to 10% of their returns. Whereas if you look at people who put multiple options, so I'll put three different dresses, two different tops, and send at least one back, that's usually 40 to 60% of the returns. And then we look at, pro so every single product category, we'll look at, um, so each little dot there is a product and the return rate is, is, is on, along there, and then you've got quantity on the bottom. And we will say, right, what percentage of your product? So, so typically, there will be about 15 to 20% of their products that have a return rate over 70%. They are loss-making products, right? So what is it about those products or the features in their products which they just shouldn't be producing for that customer base? So, so we have had a much, much quicker way to reduce returns to understanding the customer profile to feature propensity models the, so we'll, we'll, we'll drive, we'll, we'll produce a returns propensity score, and that uh, once you understand that, you can drive. So you just if someone's got a large bust, don't show them a high neck, right? You've got gazillions of other tops you can show them, which they're going to buy and keep. So show them stuff they're going to buy and keep, and don't show them stuff they're going to buy and return. So, um, so that that is what we do there. So there's, there's really, and then it, it's amazing. I, I now sit with a lot of the buying teams, the merchandising teams. I've learned SQL is all my beautiful products. So, so, it's, so just understanding from their point of view, how do we help you to do a better job? How do we help you be more efficient? How do we validate? So what happens now, particularly in this market, which is a pretty tough market in the retail space, every, every single buyer is very risk averse. So they're going, oh, you know, maybe I've seen this like beautiful pink suede skirt. It looks amazing. I'm pretty sure I can sell through 100% on 3,000 of those items, but it's quite expensive to buy. So... I'm just going to buy 1,000, so I can definitely sell three on 1,000. So the opportunity cost of not buying those other 2,000 items is massive. And so I'll get an option to buy, which means someone gives a million quid. Right, go and spend your million quid because you've got to make some more money. And I'll go, oh, no, I'll go and buy that low-margin T-shirt over there because it feels less risky. But no one wants to buy that low-margin T-shirt over there, so you end up with this overstocks, out-of-stocks issue, which is where their margin erosion all happens. So that's what we're now focused on. So keeping the front-end piece involving that, but really driving that value down through the value chain, which which is exciting for us because it obviously gets us deeper into every retailer and helps us to build the value accordingly. Um, uh, so, oh look, sorry, my size got a bit funny, but anyway, so, so this, is, this is kind of t talking about the pricing piece earlier, understanding the impact and understanding the impact you have on their business the whole way through. So, so when we look at what we do, we look at the impact we have, so that the measurement we use is what we call net revenue per visitor, um, so retailers, so lots of A-B testing software has been written and has, is optimized around conversion rates or add to bag, and that just doesn't work in fashion. So you can be increasing your conversion rate, increasing your return rate, and you can have a loss-making impact on your business. So, so what we will look at is net revenue per visitor, and the per visitor thing is important because then we break that down into uh, 
all average order value, is it, are we increasing or decreasing AOV? Uh, order frequency, so your customer, so for some retailers, if, depending on the price point, there's a price ceiling, so there's a point at which a woman goes, oh my God, I can't spend any more money this order, but she'll come back the next month and she'll buy the same again. So order frequency is important, and then you've got, um, so you've got a conversion, order frequency, um, and AOV, and then return rate increase or decrease. So, so under, and then you ideally want to be able to measure that on a 30, 60, 90, 180 day basis so you can see the impact on lifetime value over time. So understanding, and then if you are increasing your revenue and you're decreasing the returns, the impact on the contribution, it's disproportionate, it's amazing. So that gives them more money to invest in building for the next, so the future of retail is going to be completely unrecognizable in 10 years' time to what we do today, and they need to start to invest in that business. So that allows them to start to do that. So, so that, that those are the kind of results that we get now. So increasing that, that uh, uh, sell-through rate, and then probably between three, and the, the most we've ever seen is an eight percentage point reduction in return rate, which is 25%, which is massive, but normally it's more like two or three percentage points. So, um, but still, lots of, lots of long way to go, but that's that. Um, and then, um, again, sometimes um, uh, the retailers uh, technically are not always um, as good as they could be. So, we, so there's some education that we, that we often need to do with those retailers. And that can be very challenging um, or can be a delightful experience. But, uh, so we, we now really try and get them to test what we do, but test it. But then depending on how they have been testing things, there's often a, an education about if you've been testing everything on add to bag and your cart abandonment is 40%, your return rate is 40%, it's quite, a, it's quite a hard thing to hear that all the tests you've been doing for the last few years maybe aren't that relevant. So, 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 so we will, they will run their tests and we will run our tests and then we'll, we'll explore the differences and that will typically kind of work through that. But understanding how that works and then understanding how you work with that retailer to build a very lovely relationship. Um, so, so we now work with about 20% of the uh, UK women's wear market, um, and you know, we, we are very, very laser focused. We're very, we're just about to launch menswear, uh, and I think it, they they really respect the fact that we are so rigorous, uh, that, that we work so much with the numbers. So that's everyone in the business is it's, it's completely transparent. Everybody is very clear about where the value is. Everybody understands the the kind of financial metrics that flow through uh, the business. Um, so <coughs> in terms of kind of, I suppose, our key learnings, and it, I, I appreciate it is quite niche in fashion, um, but it is a big problem and it is a big industry. And I think what we have understood is that you know, all those off-the-shelf algorithms don't work for fashion. You, it's, it is very domain-specific. So you really do need to understand the data that you, on both the customers and on the products, that can drive that emotional fulfillment. So we, we, we are starting in fashion, and it has been really hard to do fashion well, but now that we have a good product, as we extend it through and we go deeper into the space, we then want to move into other areas where you are making an emotional purchase, whether it's beauty or homes or holidays. And we hope that what we have learned in fashion can tr translate nicely into other verticals. Um, and then understanding uh, the business of software, but the business of fashion. What is driving 
value for the customer and the retailer and genuinely what is driving, like read their annual reports, understand like what allows them to reinvest, what allows them to really grow. And, and it's taken us again quite a long time, but really to dig, because a lot of the retailers, depending on if they're very siloed in their approach, you've got one guy who looks after conversion rate, someone else who looks after return rate and they don't talk to each other. So there's a, we, we now run workshops kind of quarterly with clients, get it, getting all the different stakeholders in so they understand the impact all these things has across, across the board. Um, and then understand uh, the limitations within. So in our industry, even though you know, people buy loads of clothes and there are lots of retailers and it's a huge industry, you know, it's 42 billion in the UK alone, uh, there is a data sparsity issue. So on a single retailer basis, it, it, you just don't have enough data on each customer to drive value. So we've had to really work hard to gain the retailer's trust to allow us to create this single profile. And, and we then share that data back with the retailer so that there is a net gain for everybody. And our view is that you know, brands will always exist, particularly in fashion. So what's important for the fashion retailers is that they can access as much data as possible to produce the best possible products, the best possible customer service. So we talk about retail. So good retailers about great product great customer service, um, and, a great, and a great value proposition. And if you can do those three things well, you have a great brand and you can build great retail. And technology can't solve any, it can supercharge all of those things, but you have to have those fundamentals. So understanding how you build the trust of your partners and how you build that out. And then for us, we found huge benefit in the diversity of our teams and the way that our teams work together and sit next to each other and the values they share. Thanks for listening to the Business of Software podcast. For more information, go to businessofsoftware.org.